And I've enjoyed this. We've done a lot of Sunday school promotions during the years, but I did, I love this one. It's been about building faithful families for the future. And I, I've just so enjoyed it. And today's theme has been on restoring worship, worshiping the Lord. What is true worship? And I believe the Bible said it's in John chapter number 4. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth, for God seeketh such to worship him. Aren't you glad he is a God to be worshipped? Now, I believe there's a lot of people, especially in our Baptist world, that use the word worship, but it's never done it. Some people think, you know, if I go to church and listen to the choir saying, I've worshipped. I hope you have. I just won't stop and say, if you couldn't worship God with that, your worship's broken. Excuse me, broken. And uh, you're messed up. I believe a lot of people think, well, if I go to church and the preacher preaches through the Bible and I listen, I've worshipped. I hope our preaching, mine and the staff's, I hope it helps you worship God. But you can come to this church your whole life and hear the music, hear the preaching, go to Sunday school, hear the teaching, and it's good. But you can never worship God. All of that is an avenue of worship. It is a medium to worship. But it is not the true basis of our worship. First of all tonight, the word worship, what does that word mean? You and I can't do something if we don't know what it means. So let's define the word worship. The word worship comes from word that means worthship or worthy. In other words, what is its worth? So I believe tonight that true worship is when a person from a humble, contrite, thankful broken heart is just telling God how much he's worth. Wow. Telling God how much he is worth. Not worth to the church or not worth to the nation or not worth to somebody, but what he's worth to you. Can I ask you a question tonight? What is God worth in your life? Is he worth? He's worth the praise. He's worth the honor. He's worth the glory. He's worth our love, our fellowship. And and think about this tonight. When when you're telling God how much he's worth, uh, how many of you have a Ford F-150 and you think it's worth something? How many of you have a Browning shotgun and you think it's worth something? How many of you got a Zepco 33 and it ain't worth a dime? But how many of you ladies got clothes and jewelries and it's worth something that's worth it, something that has a worth in your life, it means it has a special place in your life. But brother, it has more than a special place in your life. It has a place of priority in your life. If something's really worth it, if somebody, if something really means, if it has a value in your life, It has a place in your life, and it has a priority in your life. Can I ask you this very pertinent question? When it comes to God, Jesus, the Lord, the Bible, the Holy Spirit, God the Father, 
What's he worth? Where is his worth in our life? Does he mean anything to us? What is his value? What is, what is his priority that, we ha- that he has in our life? I really believe that true Bible worship is when somebody from a thankful, broken, contrite heart is just telling God how much he's worth. God, this is what you mean to me. This is your value. This is your place of priority in my life. And if I've studied the Bible correctly, I have discovered two types of Bible or biblical worship. Number one tonight, there's what I call private or personal worship. In other words, it's you and God, and that's it. When you are telling God, when you are communing with God, when you are fellowshipping with God, when you are talking to God, when you are praising God, when you on a personal level, personally, have found you a place, and you're just telling God how much, He's worth. And can I say this to you tonight? If you have never found a place and just got alone with God and just said, Oh God, I just want to tell you how much you're worth. I want to tell you what you mean to me. You say, well, God already knows my heart, yeah, but he wants to hear it come out your mouth. Personally, just you and God and God alone. God, you're worth it to me. You're worthy. You're worth my sacrifice. You're worth my tithe. You're worth my offering. You're worth my praise. God, you're worth the very breath that I breathe. God, I love you. And you say, well, I don't know if I feel like doing that. Well, you just start, and I promise you it won't be long. You'll feel like it. I have worshipped God in a hotel room many times, just me and God and, and my study. The other night I was laying there beside Miss Arthur, and, man, I'm praising God, and I'm having me a time, and, I, and I'm a preaching in my sleep. I'm outlining sermons, having me a time. And she rolled over and said, who are you talking to? I said, I'm talking to God. At least he'll listen. No, I didn't say that. But I'm glad that I know what it is to worship God personal, private. It's me and God. I've ridden down the road many times. And if you ride in Atlanta, you better pray and worship God. Jesus, I love you. I was riding down the road one day and I've been studying on something, trying to figure it out. God gave me the victory. And I saw it. I, whoo, pray, both hands in the air. Cop pulled me over. said, don't you need both hands? I said, I got my knee. People waving at me like I'm the friendless guy in town. And I wasn't waving at them. Don't. I was waving at Jesus. I'm glad there's a personal, private worship. And I want to, encourage you as a Christian if you've never do it tonight 
Find your place tomorrow. Shout out if you have to get up 30 minutes before anybody else does. Or stay up 30 minutes after everybody goes to bed. If you're a young mother, you may not have a private moment in your life. But I'm telling you, try that. Just break you off a piece and say, Lord, I love you. I love you, Jesus. I don't tell you what you mean to me. I don't tell you what you're worth. Here's your worthship. You are worthy. I'm going to agree with me tonight. He is worth it. There's the, there is the personal or the private worship. Then the second kind of worship I found in the Bible is what I call public worship. Where you're not just worshiping God in a private setting, telling God from your heart and your soul what he's worth. But when you are publicly demonstrating to others what God means to you. And by the way, I think it's wonderful when we worship God privately, when we worship God personally. But I believe the Lord is worthy to be worshiped publicly. I mean, not only telling God how much he's worth or how much he means to us, but telling others how much God means to us. And all through the Psalms, the psalmist uses that phrase, I will declare the Lord among the heathen. I will declare the Lord among the sanctuary. Brother David wanted other people to know, I love the Lord. By the way, it do you good and do others do good to watch the, for them to watch you worship God. I, I'm appalled and I go to churches and the pastor wants revival. The pastor wants God to move. The pastor wants God to take over the service. The pastor wants God to move in that service. And he himself looks like a six foot icicle. Like he is not even glad to be there. He's not even excited to be there. I didn't know this till I started traveling, but a lot of Baptists have this philosophy. The more sad you look, the more the power of God you got in your life. I mean that. I've heard him say, well, I don't need the people to see me to get excited. I said, well, they ain't got nothing to worry about. But we don't want them to get emotionally overwhelmed. You ain't got nothing to worry about around here. I'm telling you, I believe people ought to see us enjoying the Lord. Your kids ought to see you enjoy church. Let me say that again. Your young'uns ought to see you enjoy church. Let me say that again. Your family ought to see you enjoying church. No wonder some people don't want to go to church when they grow up and get married. Mom and daddy didn't have no fun at church. If they didn't, I can't either. Brother, there is a public worship. And I really believe this tonight. If you got what you need personally and you express that privately, you can't help but go to church and worship God publicly and collectively. I've worshipped God in hotel rooms. I've worshipped God in hospitals. I've worshipped God out in the woods. I've worshipped God a lot of places. But I'll tell you something. Don't anything. Don't anything. Take the place of the public collective worship of the people of God. Have you ever tried to view church? Now listen to this. Have you ever tried to view church 
from heaven's point of view. Now, a lot of times in my office, I leave and I'm walking down that hallway and the choir singing, I'm walking that back door and I can just sense it. A couple of Sunday mornings ago, I walked through that side door and I walked in this building. The, what little hair I got, man, stood up on the back of my neck. Man, God was in this place. I felt the anointing and the surge of Holy Spirit power. And I know what it feels like to be in church when the presence of the Lord is being manifested from breast to breast and life to life and soul to soul. But can you imagine what heaven looks like what the church looks like from heaven's point of view. God Almighty and the angels of God looking down going, yeah, my people love me. My people adore me. My people praise me. I believe the public worship is important and the private and the personal worship is important. And when you blend them too, praise God, you're on shouting ground. And I believe God commands us to publicly worship Him. And I believe God commands us to personally and privately worship Him. Worship. What is God worth to you? Now that we have defined that word, let's look at how and where it is mentioned in the Bible. Now I want you to go to Genesis chapter number 22. And we're going to apply tonight the principle of the law of first mention. Now, I've said this to you through the years. Anytime you see something in the Bible mentioned for the very first time, man, make notes of it. Because there are certain characteristics about that subject that will appear every time you read it in the Bible. So let's go to Genesis chapter number 22, a very familiar passage where Abraham and God are making this covenant. And God said, I want you to take your son Isaac, and I want you to go to the top of the hill and offer a burnt offering. Brother, when I saw this, I like to add a spell. Did you know the very first time that God uses the word worship in the Bible is in Genesis 22? The first time the word worship flows from the pen and the unction of the Holy Spirit is in Genesis 22. And I said, Lord, why? Why would you use Genesis 22 and the background of Genesis 22 to tell your people about worship for the very first time? Well, here's what the Lord gave me. There are two things you find in Genesis 22. And every time in the Bible, even in your life and mine, if we really worship God, these same things will be right there with it. In Genesis 22, Genesis 22, look in verse number 2. And it says, Take now thy son Isaac, thine only son Isaac, and say this last line out word with me, whom thou lovest. Underline that little word, lovest. By the way, talking about that law I first mentioned, did you know the first time you'll find love in the Bible? Genesis 22. The first time God uses this wonderful word called love, it's in Genesis 22. Isn't it amazing? The first time you find love in the Bible, you find worship in the Bible. And the first time you find worship in the Bible, you find love in the Bible. That tells me something. You won't worship God 
if you don't love him. And if you love him, you can help but worship him. And isn't it amazing that in this law of first mention, he mentions love before he mentions worship. Now, notice what he said in Genesis 22, verse 2. Take now thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering upon one of the mountains I will tell thee of. Notice that little word in verse 22, the word of offering. Isn't it amazing? The first time you read the word love in the Bible, offering is there. And isn't it amazing? The first time you read the word worship, offering is there. That tells me something that if you love God, you can't help but worship God. And as you worship God, you can't help but give to God. Isn't it amazing that the very first time worship is mentioned, it's mentioned with love and sacrificial giving. Say those two phrases out loud with me. Love. And sacrificial giving. Say that with me one more time. Love and sacrificial giving. Write this little phrase down somewhere in your Bible or in your notes. Love and sacrificial giving was not only mentioned in relationship to worship the first time God talks about it, but every time God talks about it, And every person that's ever really worshipped God, these two same principles are evident in their life. Love and giving. Love and giving. By the way, before you call me one of them money preachers, did you know there's more to give in your life than just money? In fact, if all you've ever given God is money, you're behind. By the way, our money, our finances, our blessing, it's his anyway. You're just giving God what's already God's. In fact, I had a man tell me one time, he's not a member of our church. In fact, he's not a member of any church. As far as I know, he don't go to church. Now, now he loves the Lord, but he don't ever go to church. Now, he's a real Christian, but he don't ever go to church. I can't understand that, but whoo, he's a saint, but he don't ever go to church. But he said to me one time, he said, what more can I do to please God? I give to the poor. I give hundreds of thousands of dollars to all the churches in the Atlanta, Georgia area. I thought, you ain't never give us nothing. But he thinks just giving money and money alone is all there is to give. And by the way, I believe we ought to give God our money. God ain't never blessed a stingy believer. Remember, givers always have something to give. But if all God's ever got out of you was a greenback, you're way behind. You can give God your service and your love and your praise and your worship and your time and your talents. Man, giving always goes along with worship. But worship and giving are connected to love. For God so loved the world that he gave. You don't give to people that you don't love. Man, I love my children. I've given. 
I'll love my grandchildren. I'm probably going to be given to the day I die. That's why grandpas are alive. Give. And I'm going to tell you something. I've never begrudged. Well, I'll take that back. One of them cars Joanna got went through the tribulation period, and when I sold it, I had to polish it. That car ever been wrecked? I said, which time, sir? But I've never begrudged anything that I give my wife or my children or my grandchildren. And I want you to listen to your preaching tonight. I've never regretted one penny, one dollar, one breath, one night, one day, one moment, one message, one sermon, one stand, one sacrifice, one battle, one heart. I don't regret anything that I've ever given to my Lord and my Savior because he's worth it. Isn't it amazing? The first time worship is mentioned, it's love and giving. Love and giving. Write this statement down tonight. Love is the essence and giving is the evidence. Can I say that again? Love is the essence of our worship and giving is the evidence of our worship. You won't worship God if you don't love Him. I mean, to believe that tonight. If you don't love God, you're not going to worship Him. Nothing has true value or priority in your life if you don't love it or love that person. So therefore, if you love, you will worship. And I really believe this tonight. You cannot enter into true worship without giving God something. Because that love and that worship always produces giving, offering, giving something to God. God said, Abraham, I want that son, thine only son Isaac, whom thou lovest. And by the way, God didn't use the phrase, it was Abraham. He said to those young men that was with him, you guys wait here at the bottom of the hill. Me and this lad, we're going yonder to that place. And we, not just me, but me and this boy, the gift and the giver, Lord have mercy. We are going to worship. And he looked and said, and we will come again. Well, Lord, have mercy, Abraham. God's done told you when you get to the top of that mountain, you got to take his life. But Abraham said, but wait a minute. God is so great. God is so good. And Hebrews even said it. He believed in God enough that God, like a figure, would raise that only begotten, Lord, have mercy, from the dead. Because Abraham knew that God was right and God was holy and that God was just and he was worth it and he was worthy and he deserved his all. He deserved his best. And Abraham said, I love him and I'm going to worship and while I'm worship, I'm going to give it all to him. And let me ask you this tonight. Can you imagine saying, Abraham, do you regret that day? You and that boy started off up that hill to worship. What did you do, Abraham, when you got up there? He said, I'll tell you what I did. I told God what he was worth. And I showed God what he was worth. And that God meant more to me than anything else in my life. 
I want to tell you what your heavenly father wants out of you and me tonight. He wants us to love him with all of our hearts. He wants us to be willing to give him our all. And while you're loving him and while you're giving to him, won't you just take some time and say, Lord, you're worth it. Lord, you're worth it. You mean everything to me. God, you mean everything to me. You have a place of, uh, of a priority in my life. God, you're my everything. You ought to do that publicly and privately and personally. So it's mentioned for the first time in Genesis 22, along with offering, giving, and love. Now let's look at the final time that it's mentioned. Look in the last book of the Bible, same chapter, chapter 22. Look in Revelation chapter number 22. The Apostle John has been called up to see the things that's going to be hereafter. He has saw the tribulation period unleash the wrath of the seven vials. He has seen the revelation of Christ in chapter 19 when he comes back in power and glory, riding that white horse and his vestures in blood, and his name is the Word of God. He has seen the holy city, the new Jerusalem, Coming down from God out of heaven, he has seen the white-robed saints of God cast their golden crowns at the feet of the Lamb of God that sits high upon the throne. And boy, John's about to burst. And in chapter 22, verse 9, he falls down to worship. He falls down to give his worship. But notice what happens in verse 9. Then he, speaking of the angelic being, then he said unto me, See thou do it not, for I am thy fellow servant and thy brethren and the prophets and of them which kept these sayings of the book. Last line. Worship God. Isn't it amazing? The final time the word worship is mentioned, he's not worshiping a city. He's not worshiping an angel. He's not worshiping the angelic beings, the cherubims or the seraphims or the creatures. He's not worshiping the martyrs or the Old Testament saints or the New Testament saints. But you know who he is worshiping the final time it is mentioned? The Lamb of God, the risen Lamb, the reigning Lamb, the enthroned Lamb, the one who is worthy of all power, glory, honor, and dominion. He starts out loving God and giving to God. And even when a child of God is in glory, he is still captivated by the worship and the worthy of the Lamb of God, the one that went to the cross, the one that shed his blood, the one that conquered death, and the one that swept out of the grave, and the one that defeated the devil, and the one that's prepared a place, and the one that said, come up hither, and the one that said, I'll wipe all the tears from you. Guys, by this point, I'll say he's worthy of our praise. He's worth it. Because John said, I'll tell you what, nobody else has conquered death for me. Nobody else has paid a price for me. Nobody else has defeated the devil for me. 
Nobody else has a holy city and swing wide the gate and got me a mansion on the other side. No, there's only one lamb, only one king, only one Lord, and hallelujah, his name is Jesus, and he's worth it tonight. He's worth it. He's worthy of our praise. So the first time it's mentioned, and the final time it's mentioned, it's not about you, it's not about me, but it's all about him. Now, in closing tonight, I'm thinking about something. If I've seen the first time God uses it, and I see the final time God uses it, what's in between? What's in between the first time he says worship and the final time he says worship? Well, I want you to go to Job. Chapter number one. By the way, we're going to be in Job a little while looking for that daysman we preached about this morning. But look in Job, chapter number one. Chapter number one, Job has experienced every kind of loss a man can experience. Mental, emotional, physical, domestic, everything's gone. His flesh, his body is diseased. And in chapter 1, Job is reduced to nothing but ashes. His, his whole world has crumbled, and there's nothing left but ashes. Now, the devil sets him up, or tries to, and tells God, watch what he's going to do. Because the only reason why Job has served you, because all that stuff he's got. But you let me take all that stuff from him and he, now this is the devil accusing God, and he will curse you to your face. And God said, have at it. By the way, this is not the first time nor the last time God will make a liar out of the devil. Because Jesus himself said he's the father of all liars. So look in chapter 1. I see the first time God mentions worship, he's talking about love and giving. The last time God mentions worship, it's all about God and the Lamb and the victory that's been won. But I call this the faithful mention. What does God talk about worship right in the middle between the first and the last? Look in Job chapter number 1. Look at what it said in verse number 20. Now, the devil said he's going to curse you to your face. The devil said he's going to turn his back on you. You take all this stuff, let him go through a hard time. He'll quit going. He'll quit praising you. He'll quit them burnt offerings. He'll stop all that religious garb. We'll look in chapter 1 and verse number 20. Then Job arose, ran his mantle, shaved his head, fell down upon the ground. Read it for me, church. And worshipped. Let me demonstrate that. Now if real worship. Is telling God how much he's worth. If real worship is when a child of God. From a broken contrite homeward heart. Is telling God. What you mean to me. And how much you're worth. And I'm glad Abraham could do it because he was loving God. And Abraham showed it by his giving. And I'm glad the apostle John on the Isle of Patmos in the Revelation recognized the worthy lamb of God. But what does a guy like Job 
going to do. That's busted, broke, devastated, bereaved, bewildered. Nothing left but ashes of precious, faded memories. And the devil said, watch him, he's going to curse God and die. And Job gets down on the ground. Now, if worship means worship, if worship means a person that's telling God how much he's worth, Job looks around and realizes his financial game was gone and that wasn't worth it. He looked around at his precious family and they're gone and he looks around at his health and it's gone. So Job comes to this conclusion. God, I ain't got nothing, but you're worth it. Lord, everything in my life is gone, but you're worth it. I want to tell you, God, what you're worth to me, what you mean to me. And Job is in the ashes telling God how much he's worth because there's something more valuable than our money and our fortune and our houses and our lands. God ought to mean more to us than anything. Lord, have mercy. Because Job is living proof. When you don't have nothing, you still got God. When you don't have nobody, you still have God. When everything in your life, every relationship, every possession, when everything is gone, there is still a God who loves you and you love him and he's still worth it. Thank God tonight for the worship of God. And let me ask you this question in closing again. Is he worth it? Is he worth it? Is he worth getting up on Sunday morning, woofing down your cereal or your eggnog? And if you eat boiled eggs, you ought to go to church. And fight the traffic. And you and your little family make your way to this place. Your Bible in your hand and you sit in your seat and honor God. I think he's worth it. Upon the first day of the week when you bring the fruits of your labor. And you write out your offering to God. Is he worth it? You better believe he is. When them saints of God begin to sing and the man of God gets harnessed up and begins to preach and God gets to thumping up and down into your soul and before you know it, he's worth it. He's worth it. He's worth it. I'm telling you, he is worth your coming. He is worth your devotion. He is worth your honor. He is worth your love. He is worth your service. He is worth your praise. When you witness to somebody about their salvation, he's worth it. When you invite somebody to church, 
He's worth it. When you get your little family together and have a little prayer time, he's worth it. He's worth it. He's worth it. What does he mean to you tonight? What does God, the Holy Spirit, Jesus Christ, God the Father, the Word of God, what does he mean to you tonight? Does he have a place of priority in your life? I'm telling you, you've missed out if you don't have Christ and a place, priority in your life. In closing tonight, I'm only 60, but I learned a little something in my first 60 years. Notice I said my first 60, probably my only 60. Thank you, buddy. I love you. He said, I didn't love. God bless you. You're an honorary member from this night forward. And don't do like one of my grand youngins done the other night after church. Your daughter, your middle daughter. Granddaddy, you're so handsome, but you're fat. Had another member tell me that Saturday. Well, let me ask you this tonight. What does he mean to you? I'm glad he means something to me. I've not lived but 60 years, but I have learned this. If I will keep God in a place of priority in my life, everything else falls in line when I put him first. I'm so thankful my sweetheart for 38 years has allowed me to walk with God and not battle her at the same time. Because there's nobody in your life worth that place of honor. Let me say this. When you let other people affect your life and affect your walk and affect your relationship, you're putting them in God's place and that's idolatry. Nobody deserves that place of priority in your life more than the Lord Jesus Christ. Is he worth it tonight? I believe he is. Let's stand together and...